In just a few days, King Charles will have his coronation, and the upcoming coronation has raised a lot of questions. What kind of king is he going to be? How will he measure up to Queen Elizabeth II? And what, if anything, will he do to reframe the monarchy in the eyes of people who view it as antiquated and responsible for colonialism of several nations? We're going to get into that conversation with our guest, who's an assistant professor of history at Thompson Rivers University, Dr. Annie St. John Stark. Uh, Dr. St. John Stark, thanks so much for joining the show. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. So there are three pieces of British regalia that you examine in your article on theconversation.com about this. And all three are problematic to some degree. Let's talk a little bit about the crown jewels and why these are such representations of colonialism and such big issues. Um, I, I think the place to start when you're when you're thinking about uh, the crown jewels in the context of colonization and decolonization, really, um, is what's involved in in uh, the long history of these crown jewels. Um, just a, a clarifier, first off, for for I think many people, um, there might not be a, an immediate distinction between crown jewels and gems. So when we're talking about crown jewels, we're not talking about like a pile of diamonds, like okay. sitting on a table. We're talking okay. about a crown, a couple of crowns, actually. We're talking about a scepter, a long rod that has jewels at one end and is quite elaborate. We're talking about an orb, a, a circular um, a round object that sits in the hand of the monarch. There's a long history of the ceremony of coronation that goes back to the 10th century. So there's a lot of history there. But when we're talking about the gems, um, and this is what I've talked about in the article as well, we're talking about some very precious gems that um, came into the possession of the British monarchy and the state, the nation of Britain, uh, through some means which are today considered not all that great, Um, colonization, um, in, uh, conquest, imperialism, um, those words have some pretty dire meanings to them today. So the fact that those very famous uh, crowns and scepters and all that regalia have those gems in them present a difficulty for a lot of people. And they'll be on display in the upcoming coronation used as part of that ceremony and part of that tradition uh, that you spoke about being being something that's happened since the 10th century. W- will all of them be on display or only some of them? Well, only some of them. There is uh, probably the most fraught or the, the one gem that has probably the most painful aspects of historical narrative is the Koinor diamond. Uh-huh. Um, that will not be on display. The, the royal family and their minders have decided not to include that particular gem in where it normally would have been. Um, it's traditionally been part of uh, the crown, uh, one of the crowns that is worn, and particularly as queen consort, Camilla would have had that, that as one has- part of her crown, but they're not using it. That one's raised a lot of um, controversy uh, because of how that one was um, was adopted by the by the monarchy. Can you explain a little bit of the history of the Kohinoor? Sure, sure. There's actually quite a bit of history of that particular gem, a really enormous diamond, um, changing hands throughout the 1600s, 1700s. 
all the way up to its acquisition by the East India Company out of uh, Great Britain in the mid-19th century. That's when it comes into the possession of the British monarchy, when it is, the story goes, that uh, Duleep Singh, uh, some stories have him as being a 10-year-old, some say that he was more probably 12, um, was effectively forced into handing over this particular gem. There's a long history of the use of gems in uh, Indian history and in, in the, the Hindu groups. There's a lot of um, actual attributes and powers that are assigned to specific gems. They make a, they're part of uh, rituals and ceremonies. So that culture had already placed a lot of uh, value, spiritual value, identity value in that particular gem. But as it happens, the East India Company ends up in a position where it ends up acquiring the Kohinoor diamond through some means which are not all that great. They're, it's part of a, a series of wars and conflicts. And then you have this 10- or 12-year-old, this preteen uh, young boy who is, it is, it is said, that's uh, really uh, dealing with pressures from the governor general representing Britain, ends up handing it over. Now, the story is that it was a gift. There's also, of course, the history that tells us that the reality is this is a young boy who's in a position where there are British military officials and government officials who are probably pressuring him to relinquish right not just territory, but also some of the artifacts that go with that territory. And India has been asking for that back. And it's, yes. it's interesting the fact that it's going to be left out of the coronation, but still no confirmation on whether or not it will be returned or if any of the other jewels that are problematic and represent, uh, as you mentioned, imperialism, colonialism will be yeah. returned or if anything will be done about them. And that's that's the big question. Is this yeah. going to be the the reign where those things will be surrendered? What what do you think? What do you think will happen? I, you know, there's been silence uh, on that matter, when we're when we're looking for commentary from the royal family itself, there's largely been silence about it. Now there are there are some statements. Um, I'm thinking of one visit that Charles had made before his mother died last year um, to Canada, and there were some uh, questions raised to him about an apology. Um, for the British involvement in colonization and its leadership and some pretty brutal practices, its oversight, etc. And at that point, I, I was looking for, I thought, well, maybe there will be some comment there that might point us in the direction of where they would go with repatriating these specific gems. And the closest that that comment came would be that there, he recognized that there had to be a conversation about this. That's about it. And that's mm. just about an apology. That's not about actually physically returning gems. Now, there is, there, it is a matter of law, certainly. Um, I know that in recent cases where there have been some artifacts from places like Nigeria, there have been repatriations going on, uh, most recently of the so-called Benin bronzes um, coming out of Nigeria. So it is possible it's just that these particular gems hold a physical place in regalia 
the regalia, these items like the crown, the orb, the scepter, they represent certain attributes of the crown. Mm. They are effectively physical representations of a promise that's made between the monarch and the British people. So I could see why that would be difficult, but I am just like everyone else. I'm kind of hoping and trying to be positive that at some point this particular monarch will stand up and actually actively engage in a conversation and actual repatriation of some of these gems to original areas. Yeah, it's such a tightrope to walk because, you know, you wonder if that would actually help repair global relations or if it would just acknowledge that colonial past and just introduce and invite more criticism for the royal family. I I do have a couple more questions for you, Dr. St. John Stark. So just hold on the line for one second. We have to take a very small break and we'll come right back into this conversation. Absolutely. Uh, We're talking with Assistant Professor of History at Thompson Rivers University, Dr. Annie St. John Stark, about the King's upcoming coronation and the focus on these crown jewels what's going to happen to them. We'll get back into it in three minutes. Talking about King Charles' upcoming coronation and repatriating the crown jewels being long overdue. We're talking about it with our guest, who's an assistant professor of history at Thompson Rivers University, Dr. Annie St. John Stark. Uh, Thank you so much for sticking around on hold. Really appreciate your time this afternoon. Yeah, no worries. So we're talking about the crown jewels that will be present in some capacity during the upcoming coronation as part of British tradition and ceremony and history. Not all of the ones that are problematic are going to be on display. We talked about the Koh-i-Noor diamond from India. That one's not going to be present in the coronation. But some others will be, and it's raising some questions about what should be done with these. Uh, should they be given back to their rightful owners? Is that going to be too much of an acknowledgement of, uh, of the problematic past that the monarchy doesn't seem to want to acknowledge. I'm curious, do you think that if any of these crown jewels were returned or if there was an apology, would that actually help? Would that help repair global relations or not? It's always hard to say, but as a historian looking back historically, of course, um, I think these changes take a lot more than just not to minimize repatriating such artifacts, but I think it would take more than that. I think, though, that a place to start would be with the royal family, particularly in the form of Charles III himself, actually speaking out, actually speaking up um, to to acknowledge the history of the Koh-i-Noor, the Cullen and Diamonds as well, which are also part of the royal regalia. Um, when there's been silence, anything that he could say to be quite more, quite a bit more specific and to the point um, in a way of apologizing, but also acknowledging what role Britain played um, in that long history of colonization and imperialization, which was often quite brutal. Now, I think that should... Uh, there actually be some repatriation. I think that's going to be farther in the future than we would like, perhaps. Um, If it were to happen at all, I would hold out hopes that it would happen. I think that Britain could uh, do itself quite a a service uh, as a nation in reconfiguring the design of the royal regalia to be much more current and much more relevant. There is that... There is a concern that by holding on to gems like the Koh-i-Noor and the Cullinan, Britain is not keeping pace with other countries, other nations, other communities, and 
people who are much more concerned about identity, about what um, a nation might be doing to actually back up its uh, public rhetoric about things like climate change or racial inequities mm-hmm. and systemic injustice, etc. I think it could go a long way towards moving that forward much more quickly. Again, quickly being relative. We're talking about generations here that would likely have to pass before concrete change would happen. But I don't think that happens without, particularly in this case, the royal household actually coming right out and breaking the silence on it. I think you almost have to at this point. I think with reconciliation efforts happening around the world in such big ways, staying silent is way worse. So it will be yeah. very interesting to, to keep watching it and see what could potentially happen with a royal family yeah. that's typically been very quiet on any of these issues. Yes. Well, silence creates a vacuum. It creates a void. It is a void. And into that, people can fill in all sorts of dialogues right. that may or may not be true. So why not get ahead of that and be the ones articulating the change? Doctor, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Really appreciate your perspective. You're welcome very much. And go Oilers. Hey, thank you. Yeah, let's go Oilers. (laughs) (laughs) Take care. That's Dr. Annie St. John Stark, Assistant Professor of History at Thompson Rivers University, talking about King Charles' upcoming coronation and repatriating the crown jewels.